Hey, y'all, you snaky babies. So we were fortunate enough to be able to interview Denary Grace for our episode, Crafting with Words. However, due to the length of the episode, we are going to go ahead and split it into two episodes just to make it easier for everybody to digest and also to make sure we're able to maintain the integrity of the content of what was discussed and not have to over edit anything for the sake of time. So that being said, we will be introducing Denary Grace in both episodes. Here we go. New York-based social justice warrior Denary Grace is a black, bisexual, proudly fat, multiply disabled, poor, femme, witchy, non-binary, agender woman. They're a blues singer, songwriter, poet, essayist, screenwriter, public speaker, educator, activist, and editor in chief of the Rooted in Rights blog, a publication by and for disabled people. Their art is rooted in the human experience, love, family, sex, trauma, oppression, etc., as a conduit for liberation. We don't get free without people, and people contain multitudes. So she shares her experiences as a human being to speak to, the diversity of life's journeys, the effects of oppression on those lives, and envisioning what liberation in life, in love, in creativity looks like and feels like. Denary Grace doesn't believe that most art in and of itself will directly lead to liberation, but that it is a guiding light that can give us strength, hope, validation, and even insight as we make our way there, which makes it an essential tool for freedom. As a freelance writer, they have written for Bitch Magazine, Black Youth Project, Brooklyn Magazine, Everyday Feminism, Black Girl Dangerous, and The Establishment, among several others. Currently unrepresented, she's working on a book about her experiences living in a government-subsidized housing, The Projects, tentatively titled Stuck, Singing While Suffocating, a memoirish generational tale of life in the projects. They also founded Fat Acceptance Month in January 2019. As this bio demonstrates, Denary Grace's pronouns are she, they, and they strongly prefer that people mix it up regularly, if one can remember to do so. Again, we are so thankful and grateful to have had Denary on this episode or for this interview, which will now be two episodes. Uh, We will have links and information to her uh, Instagram and their Patreon and all their other platforms in the show notes for these episodes. We'll also be doing a promotion of their GoFundMe campaign uh, for some legal, uh, for their legal involvement or for a legal case they are pursuing. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to either of the Gorgons or to Denary themselves. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. So, uh, do you mind speaking to like any pieces that you're you've worked on that you're the most proud of? Hmm. Well, I guess um, there's a few, and I guess I should like I don't have to, but um, pick from the different like sort of categories I write. I guess. Um, so one of the poems that I'm most proud of is definitely the one that I wrote actually at a time when I wasn't writing regularly, certainly not professionally, um, in undergrad at Rutgers. Uh, the poem that I mentioned um, that I wrote for the poetry class that was influenced and, and structured after uh, June Jordan's poem for Buddy, um, I wrote it um, 
for a young woman, well, a young girl rather, she was 15 at the time, um, Sakia Gunn, um, who was this um, lesbian teenager um, who was stabbed to death. Um, oof, at this point, it's been, at this point, it's been about 15 years, roughly. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, and, um, you know, again, like this was around the time when I was finally learning about these issues and, you know, the things that, you know, this community that I've been a part of all the time, you know, but was kept from it. And now I'm learning all this stuff. And so I learned about her story while I was at Rutgers, um, particularly since um, she was from Jersey, you know, and I went to school in, in Jersey at Rutgers. And so, um, you know, and so I learned about her and I based this poem um, off of her story the same way that, um, sorry for the noise, um, the same way that um, June Jordan, you know, based her poem off of Buddy's story. And I, you know, as a part of the, the class, you know, assignment, you know, we read our poems. Um, I don't remember if all of us, like if every single student read or if we just kind of like raised our hand to volunteer, but um, I did read mine. And, um, and what you did was you read the original, you know, the June Jordan in my case, and then you read your version um and you know the class really loved it and, and thought it was beautiful and powerful and I still read that poem um in public today um I think it's probably one of my best works and of course that's I mean obviously it has my own flair and you know artistic choices and things but I, I definitely don't think that it would be what it is without her you know without June Jordan um and then in terms of songs um, I think um, one of the songs that I'm most proud of is called uh, How Can I Sing About This, uh, which is a song uh, that I wrote in 2017, um, basically about PTSD, you know, as specifically as a survivor of um, sexual violence, but um, the song has really expanded for me, particularly um, you know, with what I've been dealing with, um, with the celebrity um, emotional abuser slash cyber stalker um, to like beyond, you know, sexual violence. Um, you know, but the song is about, you know, living with PTSD um, as well as, you know, specifically living with PTSD as a survivor of abuse in the Me Too era, you know, where mm -hmm. we're constantly bombarded um, by these kinds of stories, you know, uh, relaying, you know, abuse in public and, you know, and obviously like I'm pro me too, but like, you know, like in the sense of like, you know, what that does to someone, you know, who's trying to, you know, live through their trauma and survive trauma, you know, you know, sort of like, you know, like, oh, like post this article, give a trigger warning or like, you know, put a content note or whatever. Um, you know, and so that constant bombardment, oh, this celebrity came out and it turns out he's an abuser. Oh, like this one's a rapist. And like everywhere you turn around, it's like, yeah, oh, these little fuckers are like, okay. it, it starts to feel like toll. there's yeah. no safe space, right? Because yeah. like that yeah. persona and that presentation of like, oh, he's such a good guy. And then you find yeah. out like, oh no, he is a piece of yeah. shit. 
Yeah. If, if this, or, you know, if this person is really this way, how many people am I close to that? I don't right. even realize are yeah. terrible fucking monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was really proud of that one. And, and then that was one of the songs where, you know, like the Atlantis Morissette song, I'm where like it was written pretty fast you know it was just something that I clearly just had to get out and like I've performed it a couple of times in public um at my last two shows I think um maybe yeah no probably my last two shows and then um like you know in the before times and then, right, and then, since, the and then <laughs> since the pandemic, um, you know, obviously, like, I haven't been doing, like, a lot of in-person things, but I did do a show in person in Brooklyn, and I sang it there, and that was, like, after, you know, I realized I was being abused by the celebrity guy, and so it took on a whole special, you know, a different meaning, um, you know, at the time, and so that was, like, one that, that's one I'm really proud of. Um, and then like that was and so then essays I would say hmm this one is harder I think in part just because like there's a lot more that's out there (laughs) of the essays you know between my Patreon and you know the places I've been published and things like that Um, but I would probably say that even after all this time I'm definitely one of the ones I'm most proud of is the one that I mentioned, again, you know, from Black Girl Dangerous, um, you know, where I was really talking about, you know, internalized anti-Blackness and learning to love myself, um, you know, because that was really the start of a really big, excuse me, a really big healing journey for me. And, you know, I feel like we're all still works in progress when it comes to all of these different issues. Um, but I've grown so much. And so I'm really thankful for that movie, you know, the Fruitvale Station, which inspired the essay and, um, you know, in the space that I was given by Black Girl Dangerous. Um, and and again, then it also, you know, just start jump started my career, even though I wouldn't get published again, you know, for another year or so. But, you know, it became this thing where, oh, like that's an option you know, and, and that yeah. really geared me down this road pretty much for the rest of my life. Um, and then um, and then for screenwriting, and like, I hate to be like really heavy. And of course, like, obviously, like I haven't had, you know, any screenplays like published or anything like that or like won any contests. But just in terms of what I've written, um, what I'm most proud of is probably uh, my screenplay. Um, the movie's called Trigger Warning. Um, which kind of like gives you an idea, but um, uh, but I wrote it. Uh, well, I don't. I don't actually remember when I wrote it exactly. I know it was somewhere between probably 2014 and 2016, but I don't remember exactly. But I got the idea for it um, in February 2014 after I read um, part of uh, Dylan Farrow's. I think it was the New York Times essay. Um, about the abuse, you know, that she suffered at the hands of Woody Allen, um, her adoptive father. And I couldn't even read the whole thing um, because it was one of those things where like, I didn't know exactly what it was and no one had put a trigger warning or a content note or anything. So I clicked on it and I started reading and like, you know, she's doing like graphic, like descriptions of, you know, some of the things he did to her and like, I freaked out. You know, this was before I was diagnosed with PTSD. I didn't know like what was going on. I was just like, ah. Sure. And, but, you know, I got the idea 
to write the screenplay that was like, that was like the catalyst for getting the idea for the movie. But then in terms of what the story is, the story um, is then um, influenced and inspired, influenced and inspired by, um, I don't know if either of you remember the uh, DSK case, which was like, you know, before, um, you know, Me Too like made its public splash, obviously. Um, but um, he was basically, I think, I'm pretty sure he's still alive, but uh, DSK, um, Dominic Strauss-Kahn uh, was this like French, like fancy schmancy, you know, rich businessy, whatever guy. And, you know, this, you know, black immigrant woman here in New York um, accused him of raping her when he was visiting New York and, you know, and that whole, and again, this was like before, you know, Me Too and all that stuff. And so like, you know how that goes, like, yeah, or like immigrant woman, you know, um, publicly accusing, you know, this big, powerful on multiple countries, rich guy, um, you know, sexual violence. And um, that pretty much went nowhere in terms of justice. Right, because obviously um, she just wants money, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and so, like, the story's, you know, inspired by that, but it's basically about, you know, these two women who are victims of this powerful guy, and they come together, um, you know, basically trying to, like, fight him, because, like, you know, no one knows, like, you know, the monster that he really is, and I just thought it was so funny that, like, not ha-ha funny, that, like, I wrote this, you know, this um, screenplay um so long ago not knowing that years later I would be able to like directly you know relate to the story in terms of you know my own experience you know with the celebrity guy um you know trying to get your voice heard and you know no one's listening and struggling and you know the pain of like seeing them everywhere all the time and no one knowing who they really are and like you know, and so I just thought it was like, oh, this has come full circle. But um, it's definitely, and like, I, I plan to like edit it and things like that, um, of course. Um, but uh, it's definitely a favorite. And hopefully one day someone will produce it and you can see what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. I know you've hit a little bit on some of the challenges you've encountered in your creative process, um, but is there anything that you haven't talked about that you wanted to go into? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's really hard um, first is just the effects that, you know, being multiply disabled have on the creative process you know, as I mentioned, like I'm dealing with, you know, the aftermath of this abuse and the cyber stalking, which is ongoing. And, you know, and that obviously like put, has put a damper on um, my ability to work just in general, uh, whether I'm making money from it or not, you know, um, just to be creative um, has been really hard. And, you know, that's something that's, you know, always been an issue. Um, I've been living with depression for a long time and like I was, you know, diagnosed with PTSD, you know, well before I met him. But of course, you know, when new trauma happens and everything, you know, gets heightened and, you know, and deepened and everything. And so it's been really hard, you know, this year. Um, but that's something that, you know, like I said, you know, is always an issue. 
particularly during the colder months uh, for me uh, here in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, the colder months, I was originally diagnosed with seasonal depression. Um, it's now like regular depression, but I still definitely feel the effects more strongly uh, during the colder months. And, you know, and so like that gets hard. Um, and then I think, and this is something that <laughs> unfortunately a lot of creative people can relate to, but, you know, the feeling of, you know, wanting everything to be perfect, um, yep. you know, feeling like it's not going to be good enough. So you don't even bother starting because what's the point, you know, <laughs> and, um, Again, like that's you know one of the things that I've learned over the years as a writer, like just write, you know, just write, and like whatever happens, like as it comes, like that doesn't matter. That can that's what editing is for, you know. But just write, and yet, like even with knowing that, like in my brain, <laughs> deep within my brain, um, it's still you know hard to like just get started, you know, like the the blank page being the enemy. You know, because there have been a lot of times where, like, once I started writing, I was like, oh, this is really good. Like, you know, <laughs> like, oh, or that phrase came to me that I was hoping or, like, I wasn't sure if something would come. And, like, you know, but, you know, getting started is, is you know, as some say, like, half the battle. Um, and that's particularly true, you know, like I said, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, multiple disabilities. And for me, not just the mental ones, but the physical ones, too. Sure. Um, you know, especially, like, you know, as a writer like you know a lot of people like like to stick to the like traditional handwriting um but I do like using my laptop and that means sitting up um and I can't sit for a long time um you know without excruciating back pain um and so you know like just different you know sort of variables that that make it different difficult rather I think yeah I feel like so starting the process um, and then, like, at least for essay writing, um, one of the things that, like, I'm at least aware of it, and so, like, when I go into editing mode, like, I know how to fix it, but um, I, like, will definitely write a lot of long sentences, and so, like, I use, like, a lot of punctuation, like, commas and parentheses and brackets, because I'm, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a run-on sentence kind of gal <laughs> like it's so ridiculous and like I know I do this like it's, it's important to like know you have a problem but like but um yeah it's one of those you know obstacles you know that I kind of have to watch for as I'm writing and so as I'm writing I try to like you know keep it short if I can but again you know it's like I said like trying to just write it however it comes and then like I can shorten sentences later when I'm in editing mode but like you know just try to get it out especially like you know with the way that like some of my like disabilities work and like the, you know, sort of symptoms, like I can forget things. So it's like, if I don't just get it out now, like I'm gonna forget what I was trying to say because I'm caring about how long or short the sentence is. Like, I'll just, I'll fix the sentence later, however long it is um, and just like get the words out, you know, while they're fresh in my brain. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing. Like I said, like once I start writing, like even if it's not, cause obviously like, no one's perfect. It's not always great. But, you know, once I start writing, it's really just a reminder of like, oh, yeah, I'm good at this. I can do this. Um, especially, like I said, when it comes to poetry and songwriting and essay writing, you know, whereas like, you know, compared to screenwriting, where it's like a particularly, you know, specific craft and I haven't been doing it as long. 
but um you know particularly for the other three um oh yeah I can do this I know what I'm doing um you know once I get into the rhythm yeah I think that's it I think those are like my major obstacles so we've already kind of talked about how you use your word crafting skills and your advocacy and your work on like various social issues and you are now the editor-in-chief of the Rooted in Rights blog. Congratulations, you absolute fucking goddess. I think you are so amazing. Thanks. I just, I hope you know, like, you are one of the voices in my head when I'm about to, like, interact with different um, situations at work because I'm in the social work field. Mm -hmm. I always think whenever I'm like doing messaging or doing like brochures and handbooks, I always think, how would Denary feel about what I'm putting out here right now? Uh, It's because I feel like you do do such a great job in teaching people, right? Oh, thanks. Like the fact that you're on this blog, I am so excited for you. And I'm so excited for the people who you are going to reach with this. Cause I just know professionally for me, you've had a huge impact. Oh, thank you. I hope you know that. Oh, it means a lot. Yeah. Oh, great. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about the organization, what you're hoping to accomplish? Yeah. So Rooted in Rights is a media organization, sort of like um, the media arm of Disability Rights Washington, uh, uh, DRWA, um, and they're a nonprofit um, that like, you know, deals with basically advocating for disabled folks, um, specifically, um, they're based in uh, Seattle, Washington, um, you know, so that's where they do their work. Um, But they have this media arm, um, which is rooted in rights, and, you know, uh, rooted in rights has um, you know, there's sort of like visual media, um, and then there's me, <laughs> um, <laughs> basically. Um, and um, I was actually connected with um, the previous, um, the previous and first um, editor in chief of the blog, um, Emily, um, and I don't want to mispronounce her last name. Uh, we actually randomly met in person. We're both here in New York. And we randomly met in person at, a, at an in-person Patreon event uh, in the before times. And um, we were like, oh my God. And like, she was like, oh my God. I was like, oh my God. Cause like, we'd like seen each other on Twitter and things like that, of course, you know, both being disability activists. Um, and it was kind of like one of those surprise things like, you're here, I'm here, you know? Um, and so we got connected on Twitter. Um, but, you know, she'd been there for like five years wow. and they were like, yeah, and they were like, it's probably time for a change. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, really important work um, being done. Um, you know, we've made some changes uh, in terms of the kind of work um, that we accept. Um, but, you know, really like focused on like narrative, personal essay, um, you know, sort of stuff. Um, and I'm really excited, you know, like I said, you know, we've changed a bit, you know, the kind of things that we accept, you know, sort of expanded a little bit. Um, and so I'm really excited, you know, as, as the word continues to spill out, you know, when you, <laughs> when your platform hasn't been active for like five months, uh, people tend to like, especially like as freelancers, you know, like I'm still a writer, you know, like people tend to like, oh, 
there's still not around, you know, so like word still has to get, has to get out. Um, so hopefully anyone listening, if you are disabled uh, <laughs> uh, and you are a writer, uh, please consider pitching me. But um, yeah, a really awesome organization. A lot of amazing, amazing, amazing disability activists that I know personally have, have written for them, um, done some really great work, really important work, you know, that educator, part of activism, super important. Um, I've learned so much from so many of these people. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited that the torch has been passed to me. And, um, you know, and I'm looking forward to uh, what people continue to submit and for the kind of stories that we'll be able to tell, especially, like I said, you know, with expanding the kind of writing work, you know, that we're accepting. Um, I'm really excited to see what people bring to the table. I'm excited to um, build with community. Um, and I'm really excited to build the platform, um, you know, to build upon, you know, what Emily and, and the rest of the team um, have started and, and, uh, and, and see where things go. And, and really, you know, as I said in my welcome essay, you know, to hopefully be one of the premier um, media organizations, you know, specifically by and for disabled community, um, you know, and continue to grow in that right. And, um, you know, and see where it takes us. And, um, and obviously on a personal note, you know, it's, um, I think I'm frozen, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, on a personal note, um, it's, um, you know, obviously an opportunity for me. I'm excited to, you know, as I've continued to in various capacities over the years, um, to see my own growth, um, to learn, to, I'm sure, make mistakes. I'm not looking forward to them, but such is life. <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, so far, so good. Um, I actually started the job in May, um, but I couldn't announce until, you know, last week, until early June. And, you know, so far, so good. Um, I, I like the team that I'm working with and, you know, and we're all very excited, nervous, and there's a lot going on, um, especially for them. Because again, you know, like I'm not an employee. This is an independent contractor job. You know, I'm excited, you know, like I said, as, as pitches, you know, continue to come in and um, yeah, and I'm expecting more. Um, there are people like, you know, I've tried to like share like in the different writer Facebook groups and things like that. And people are excited to have the blog back and, um, you know, and some people have expressed interest in pitching me and um, so, I'm, so I'm excited. It's, it's a weird position to be in after like years of, of freelancing, <laughs> you know, being on the other end. But um, I do have experience editing, obviously, that's how I got the job. <laughs> but uh, but um, you know, not in a capacity like this, like not in a, like a sort of front facing public capacity, like, oh, Denary is the editor of this. Like, you know, like I've helped like edit books and, you know, and things like that. And, um, but in terms of like where people know that it's me, like this is my first time. Um, well, technically not my first time uh, because I was also, uh, one of um, the nonfiction editors at Deaf Poet Society, uh, which is another uh, media organization, um, an online um, online publishing um, platform for and by uh, disabled folks, um, prose, poetry, 
um, artwork, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and so, you know, kind of, but it still felt like a little bit more behind the scenes um, just because like, you know, when you're the editor in chief, like your name is everywhere versus like being just one of the regular like editors, you know, like yeah. your name is, you know, your, your name isn't on the work. Like people don't associate the work with your name um, the way they do when you're an editor in chief. So, um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I'm excited um, to have this post and um, have at least a little bit of stable income, LOL sob. Um, uh, but you know, we'll see where the journey takes me. So one issue that we see in writing and storytelling are specific tropes around fat people. You've actually founded fat acceptance month in 2019. Can you speak Mm -hmm. a little bit more to your work in this specific issue? Yeah. Um, so in terms of my own personal journey, I, First, so I do work around fat liberation specifically. And like a lot of people like hear terms like fat liberation or like fat acceptance or like, you know, body positivity or health at every size or whatever. And like sort of complete, you know, all these various terms. Um, But around the end of 2012, so like my first semester as a grad student um, at Pace University here in New York, um, I started to basically like question my own um, experiences with my body and the messages that I've, you know, that I've received my entire life um, because of a friend that I made um, and the stories that she would share about her own experiences. And it was one of those funny things where like when you start to reflect, um, you know, when people reflect back your own experiences on you, then you go yeah. like, wait a minute, like, it's actually fucked up like you know like like it's happening to you and it's like so normalized but then like you hear your friend like talk about like oh like my mom said this about my body or like you know this or that or like oh like I want to be smaller you're like wait and so that like you know that that really like was the catalyst for me and through that I found I specifically found health at every size like around in 2013 and you know that basically started me on my own personal journey um and really you know not just a personal journey of like oh like I'm not bad for having this type of body but also my own personal journey of like learning the history and learning um and learning you know, really the the systemic roots of um, fat antagonism, you know, of fat hate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, like, you know, I had already, um, you know, been like a student activist on campus. And so I was already like, you know, understanding of the basics of like oppression and like how it works, you know, but this was a very like, you know, for a lot of people, even in 2022, you know, this was almost 10 years ago now, but even 2022, like fat politics, you know, are very, very like the entire concept is like, so like, what? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's very, very like new. And, you know, and of course, you know, part of that is like we're surrounded by diet culture and 
weight loss culture. And so like the idea of like there being something wrong with not with fat people and our bodies, but with the way that we are treated, um, you know, on an individual level and on a systemic level um, is a very new concept for people. And so of course, you know, people are very resistant to it. Um, you know, to the idea of being challenged and like, hmm, maybe we got some things wrong. Uh, some things being everything, LOL's up. And so that's really how I got started. And, and I actually got started with learning about, you know, systemic fat antagonism and, you know, our history and like, you know, the way that things worked for us and, and the way that we move in society. Um, around the same time, that I was also coming to understand myself as disabled um, and, you know, learning about disability justice and disability history. And obviously this is all like within the US context, um, you know, but I start, you know, learning about these things like sort of at the same time. And, and um, you know, and it's really funny, like, like I kind of think about sometimes how like easily like I've integrated new concepts you know like into my brain um like throughout the years like even like I think about like you know like learning about you know the concept of trans people you know mm -hmm. like in like my very very baby queer stages you know and it was never oh no this is terrible what are you talking about that doesn't even make any sense like it was always just really like oh like new concept interesting like all right bring it on in like you know and like obviously like at the time this was like more than a decade ago like I still had so much to learn and in, in terms of you know problematic you know ideas and you know and thoughts and things like that but there was never like oh like trans people oh they're the worst like you know there was never that like really like malicious like and of course like and there's like oh I'm trans, so like, you know, <laughs> it's part of it, but like, you know, whether it came to like, you know, trans issues and, and community needs or like fat issues and community needs and like, you know, disabled issues and community needs, like there was never really like for me and like, obviously like everyone's different and, and I know this is not the case for everyone, but you know, at least for me, like there was never this really like strong resistance of like, no, there's no way, like, that's wrong, and, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I've always kind of been like that, and, you know, when I was, when I was in high school, one of my nicknames was Jesus. I was, I was a very different, different person back then, and, uh, you know, but a big reason why, you know, like, it wasn't, you know, a nickname, like, pejorative, you know, it was very, like, oh, yeah, that's Jesus, like, you know, and, like, and I really do think, like, even back then, you know, when I had, you know, different ideas about, queerness and, and things like that that people understood that like no matter what I, I was never this like judgmental like you're all going to hell like you know like I've right. always been that type of person like oh okay you know and so once I was able to come out to myself and you know learn all these different things um I think it's just really gotten that much easier to just be like oh, okay like more things to fight for you know like this actually sucks because we shouldn't have to fight for these things, but like, yeah, I'm in, you know? And, um, and, uh, and so, you know, I started integrating, you know, fat, you know, politics and disability politics almost 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, and it just kind of like, 
you know, like I said, just seamlessly like, you know, fit into the rest of my work. And so that's how I got started, you know, and then, you know, learning and reading, you know, like I said, from all these amazing online people who, you know, share their knowledge on Twitter and Facebook and don't confine it to a book, which I struggle to read in general uh, because of, you know, the effects of my disabilities or like confine it to like a $500 class, you know, um, yeah. but share it, you know, like share it online. And so I've learned, you know, so much from so many people. And, you know, like I said, I've just continued to integrate it into the work that I do. And, you know, and so that's kind of how, you know, Fat Acceptance Month, you know, came to be. It was like, I've learned so much and I feel like, you know, we don't have this space and we don't have, you know, this marker, you know, so to speak. And, um, and so I said, well, if no one else has done it yet, I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> um, and so I did. And, you know, it's been, it's been hard because it's literally just me. And, you know, as I said, um, you know, the colder months, you know, in the Northern hemisphere are, you know, the time of year when, you know, my depression is at its worst. Oh, so yeah and so like <laughs> alaskans hey so you know i made it you know deliberately in january you know because that's the time of the year when everyone's like new year new me <laughs> weight loss goals um and so i just wanted you know a space where folks could counteract that yeah and, um but, you know, it's made it very hard for me in terms of trying to get work done. Like, you know, with, you know, the recent trauma uh, with the abuser, like January just did not happen this year at all. Um, and in the past, I've at least like made an effort to do, you know, at least, you know, try to do something or write something. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's been really hard. Um, I would but- love to be able to support you and fat acceptance month like on insta we're not super present on twitter i don't even know if we have a twitter presence to be honest because i just yeah um but it would be super cool to do like um a campaign in january because that's when fat acceptance month is um, yeah every january okay yeah i was like i just blanked um but um, it'd be super cool to like ask artists and crafters to share their pieces featuring fat bodies. Cause I do mm-hmm. think there's an increase in that more and more, even in like as simple as embroidery or as complex as embroidery. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Saying that would be super cool to kind of challenge mm-hmm. artists to post that on Instagram and like, cause you have hashtags that you do with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's hashtags. Um, yeah so like there's the main hashtag which is like universal and then like I usually have like you know fam you know the acronym and then whatever the year is you know as the more specific hashtag um for each year um yeah and so um I started doing themes um so yeah it started in 2019 and I started doing themes I believe it was last year um what was it no no this no I'm sorry this past year was supposed to be the first time that I did a theme um but that did not happen obviously um but yeah that's something that I would like to do uh, moving forward um what I'll probably do for this coming year is um I already actually have an idea for a different theme for this coming year so what I'll probably do is the theme that was supposed to be 
for this past January, I will um, revisit it at some other point in the future. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, I am excited for the day because I know it will come together one day when it's like more regular. Actually, yeah. The first one that the first one that I did actually I did have a lot of um activities and things like that um happening. Um, you know, like Twitter chats and like I did a workshop at the end of the month. And this was in 2019, the first year, um, you know, but it's just kind of been really, really hard um, the longer I've been at it and, you know, with traumas and, and like life and yeah, and COVID and, you know, the trauma of that. <sighs> Unbelievable. Um, yeah. You know, it's just been a lot. And like I said, and just in general, it's a hard time of year for me. So then you add other things onto it and it's like, ah, um, but, you know, one day I will, you know, have the resources that I need. And that's, you know, that's the thing that, you know, a lot of activists have to deal with is like, you know, one, one that I follow who um, specifically does like anti-rape um, activism and like talks about like Title IX and things like that. Um, yeah. In that way, uh, one Juki, um, she's really great. Um, and, you know, she had talked recently about like, you know, there's like no funds like to support activists. You know, we do a lot of this work you know, for free, like, you know, we have bills to pay and like, you know, as well, you know, just like anybody else. And like, you know, there's no like real community support and, you know, and then we need help in emergencies and like what happens with that. And, you know, and so there's just like so many different ways that, you know, that activists can be supported. And, you know, and it's frustrating when you don't have that because then you want to do the work, you know, but um, yeah. And so like one of my fears is just like, you know, when there are so many like grifters and I mean, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, there's more of them than there are, but like, you know, um, but I think with any community, you get like the grifters and the abusers and the folks that are just in it for clout and, you know, that sort of stuff. And so yeah, when I'm unable to do the work that I want to do or the work that I've named as mine, you know, one of my fears is just, you know, being labeled one of those like posers, you know, who doesn't really you know, who just wants to clout, like, oh, you just, like, you know, claim this month or whatever, so you could say that you're this or that, but, like, you don't actually care about the community, and it's like, well, I mean, if I had the resources, it would be a lot easier, and, you yeah. know, it's, just, it's really hard, you know, it's really hard, especially when you know, like, the work is needed, you know, one of the things that I learned very early on while I was still at Rutgers, you know, just from listening, from listening to my elders, uh, you know, was that at the end of the day, like in terms of people doing radical work, you know, there are always going to be very few of us. And, you know, that means that there's, you know, a small amount of people that's always doing the heaviest lifting. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just know that, like, I always want to be a part of that. But it's hard when, like, you live in a society that's structured, for these movements to fail, um, you know, and you get tired and, you know, a pandemic happens and, you know, and like there's just yeah. all sorts of things going on that just make it like, you know, we're human beings and it's hard out here, man. Like, you know, like that's just, that's real, you know? And then again, like, and then you meet a celebrity and you're so excited, one of your favorite people, and then it turns out he's an abuser and like now you're traumatized again for like 80 bajillion years, you know, like, Right. All these things that just like, you know, pile up that you don't expect or like, you know, life comes at you fast and like it sucks and, you know, that puts a damper on everything. But like, you know, somehow, somehow we keep going. 
um, I guess, because we know the work that needs to be done and there aren't a lot of us doing it. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I am. It's, it's hard and like, you know, we don't like complain, you know, cause it's not like we have to do the work. There's one that I was actually, that I'm actually following. He's also like a creative person, but also an activist. And he actually like took activists out of his bio. He was like, I'm done doing this for a while. Like, this isn't like fun, you know? And like, you know, that's like a whole other conversation, but like, you know, not fun in the sense of like, la 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 la, but like, you know, in terms of like building community and, um, you know, and not, you know, giving people grace and, you know, and like all that sort of stuff, like, it's just not fun anymore. And so he was like, yeah, I'm out, like, you know, and like, that's just, that's, that's just how it's gotta be sometimes. Um, because this shit isn't easy. And, you know, sometimes we just need a break, but right. I'm not there yet. So <laughs> it's been a bumpy road, but I'm, I'm not at a break point yet. So, yeah. So with, um, just kind of going off of that, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the tropes and the negative, unhealthy ways people talk about fat people. What are some ways that you would suggest to writers or even authors and crafters that they could present fat people in more healthy and positive ways? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think and this isn't to like make you the megaphone or like no absolutely I do not speak for the community as a whole but um I think for me um one of the big things is just like being there right like so many like and you know like art is like this really broad term like I'm an artist but like you know Alvin Ailey you know was also an artist and you know, Scott Joplin, you know, was also an artist and, you know, like choreographers, painters, you know, there's so many different types of art. Um, and so, you know, the, so for me, like one, you know, sort of rule, so to speak, that's universal is, is just being there. Like, do you see fat people? Like, are you hiring fat dancers? Like, are you hiring fat musicians? Like, you know, like, are you, you know, painting fat people, you know, or drawing fat people or like digitally sketching fat people, like whatever kind yeah. of art you do, like, are you like, you know, writing films that like have, you know, a fat lead, whether it's horror, you know, or, you know, romance or, you know, like fucking uh, thriller or whatever, like, you know, and the same with television, obviously, like, um, you know, are we there, you know, like, like, that's like, because like, we're not even there, like, you've got some work to do, so you should probably start there, but like, yeah, <laughs> but like, once you get there, like, oh, like, I'm gonna include fat people, you know, then, you know, part of it is about, um, and again, and this, this is why knowing your history is so important, because if you don't know what the tropes are, you know, if you don't know, and, and the thing about the, and the thing about the tropes is, you know, people talk about like intersectionality and, you know, and things like that. And like, obviously there are, for example, like experiences that are unique to black people versus, you know, as a whole versus fat sure. people as a whole versus immigrants as a whole or whatever. But the way that these symptom, symptoms, oh my God, the way that these systems interlock with each other, there's actually an 
such an overlap in how they work that a lot of times when you you know know what the trope is for one thing you can probably pretty generally assume that the tropes are true for other marginalized groups as well so like one thing that I like to point out a lot and you know this isn't obviously this isn't um, specific to fat folks but um the idea of marginalized people as liars you know liars about just in general like like oh I saw you steal that no I didn't you're lying you know like just liars in general but also liars about our experiences It's funny that you say that because I, so I do clinical assessments for children with mental health issues Mm -hmm. and a lot of times they come in like with a list of behaviors, Mm -hmm. almost invariably any of the Alaska native black or Polynesian students that we get referred have lying as one of their Mm -hmm. behavior problems. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's, it's super interesting that you point that yeah. out because I, I don't think I've directly connected that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Black people are liars. Like, you know, fat people, like we're lying about the amount of exercise that we do or what we eat or what our me- medical conditions are or aren't, you know, trans people are liars about who they are. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like poor people are liars about what they're using government funds for. <laughs> like we're yeah. buying like lobster, like. You know, like it's it's such a, and so like similarly like you women know, lying about their medical yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole time no, you've yeah. been speaking, I've been thinking about like you know how I have to gear up, like I'm going to fucking war when I go to the doctor. Like I have to yeah. be like you know I have ten years of history, I have blood tests, I have an MRI that shows a medical problem, and I still yeah. have to convince the doctor sometimes that there's yeah. something actually fucking wrong. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, like all oh my, it's like it's so. Well, like once I first like realized that I was like, holy shit, like, you know, and especially as someone who like embodies like so many of these different identities, it's like, like they think I'm a liar, like, bullshit. Yeah. You know, and so like, you know, one thing that like I was, I started, as you probably know, uh, Heather, like I started rewatching my first rewatch ever of Star Trek uh, The Next Generation. Yeah. And I'm on the second season and I watched this episode the other day. And it's one of those kind of like sort of forgettable episodes, but like the the like antagonist of the episode was like these like this like humanoid like alien race that were basically like just a bunch of fat guys, and like they were basically like portrayed as like you know you know quote unquote you know dumb you know which is an ableist slur, and you know and portrayed as like you know, just, like, not, like, all together there, and, like, lazy, like, literally lazy, like, literally the entire premise of, like, their race is supposed to be that these, like, fat aliens are, like, people who don't want to do the work to, like, you know, evolve and, like, learn on their own the different technologies, and so they steal technologies from other more advanced races, and, like, you know, and, like, race in the Star Trek sense, not, like, you know, race you know, conceptualize it. And I was just like, ah, like, and this is like the, the, the late 80s, obviously. Not that it yeah, excuses okay. it, but like, you know. And so, like, yeah, like, that's it. And so the reason why I brought up, like, the sort of universal tropes across marginalized groups is because, like, being lazy is, like, another one of those, like, tropes, you know, from marginalized people that, you know, you'll see, like, among like black folks and you know like 
you know, disabled people are lazy and like fat people are lazy and, um, and of course poor people are lazy, like, you know, and so like you just start to see these themes and like a lot of them really, really apply, um, you know, and another one of those universal things is that like, we're not desirable. You know, black people are not desirable, unattractive, disabled people, fat people, um, you know, poor people, like we're not desirable sexually, not desirable um, romantically, you know, for those who experience sexual and romantic attraction. And, you know, and we're not, uh, we're not even desirable as friends, you know, like, but, um, you know, and so like, that's just one of those, those stereotypes, those tropes that you see a lot, you know, for fat folks. And um, so when you really, so like, even if you think, oh, like, I don't know anything about fat liberation, I don't know anything about, you know, the things that fat people go through, like, if you have nowhere else to start, just think about the universal tropes that apply. Like if you know about black people, if you know about disabled people, if you know about poor people and how we're portrayed, like just think about that and avoid those things for fat people too. <laughs> and like, you can at least make some kind of progress. And then, you know, of course there's like the more specific things um, related to fat folks. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things you know, and this is where like, you know, you talk about like differences is that like, you know, health is something that, you know, comes up for these different groups too, right? Um, but like the way that it's employed doesn't necessarily always look the same um, compared, you know, from, from group to group. And so like um, the way that you talk about fat bodies, um, you know, fetishizing and romanticizing versus um denigrating and um ridiculing and mocking you know like all oh, of those things are terrible <laughs> uh, we're just people we just want to be treated like humans and you know human beings contain multitudes we are bad people and good people we're great in bed and terrible in bed and we're terrible friends and great friends and some of us are rich and some of us are poor and, you know, some of us are like really outgoing and some of us are more introverted and like, you know, and so like, just like, am I a human being? Okay, great. Like treat me like one, like it's, it's kind of really that simple. Like it doesn't even have to be like a whole big, like theorizing using big words, like thing, like just treat us like human beings. Yeah. Um, you know, like, are we always the best friend? Like, why are we never a lead? You know, like, and like make us multidimensional, you know, the way that you would for, for anyone else. I don't know if I said that word right, multidimensional. I but, feel like you said it right. <laughs> okay, but you know, because you know, sometimes you're like kind of tripping over your words and not really paying attention. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the most important is like really examining, you know, the, the ways that oppression affects people. And like, like I said, even if you don't know exactly what that looks like for fat people, if you know how oppression works in general, you at least have some idea of how not to, to betray us. And then, you know, go from there and treat us like human beings. And you're probably off to a good start. And if you're not, then um, maybe you shouldn't be writing things. Like, I don't know. Like, but, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just, it's not, you know, unlike what a lot of these stand-up comedians are saying, it's really not hard 
you know, as Lizzo demonstrated beautifully today with changing the lyrics of her song, like it's not hard to just like listen to the fucking communities and do the right thing. Like it's just yeah. it's just not hard. Like if you're actually talented, it's it's just not hard. Like it's literally not hard. Um and, and it's particularly frustrating that people make this argument for me as a creative person, like as someone writing songs and you know, writing movies and things like that. Like, it's not hard. Like, you know better, do better. Like, it's really that simple. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for going into that and taking the time to unpack that with us. Mm -hmm. No problem. So we want to hear more about this book project. Like you alluded to it and we definitely want to hear more. I've been curious the entire episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I actually... so when I first came up with the idea a few years ago, um, it had a very different title and a very different concept, which is, I feel like another thing that creative people can relate to. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so it was originally called The State of the Projects. Um, and it was going to be more of like an academic sort of work, um, you know, like interviewing, like, former hood directors and like interviewing um, like celebrities um, who used to live in, you know, who grew up in government subsidized housing and, you know, and like all this stuff, but really just like examining the state of government subsidized housing in the US um, through its history, you know, um, how it was formed, um, you know, the, you know, disproportionate communities that are affected, you know, black and brown folks and, um, and, uh, you know, what it's supposed to look like going forward, which is like a really big question these days, you know, we're talking about affordable housing in general, um, you know, um, whether it's renting or owning, like, housing, like, it's a real crisis. And it's a crisis of doing nothing, not a crisis of there's actually anything wrong, just that, you know, but anyway before I go off on a tangent um and so because of that you know I kind of put you know I write about this in the preface as well in addition to the poop (laughs) but um, I write about this in the preface as well about how like you know I really put a lot of pressure on myself um with that initial idea you know because I felt like I kind of had to you know do all this you know research and statistics and history lesson and interviewing politicians and trying to get in contact with celebrities, you know, and just having all this flashy and like academic stuff, you know, in order to be heard and paid attention to and and in order for the work to be taken seriously. And after a while I thought about it and I was like, that's bullshit. And so (laughs) once I started and once I moved away from that, um, it kind of transformed to where, you know, the initial idea came because, you know, I live in the project now with my mom um, here on Long Island in New York. And my mom grew up in the projects. You know, she was born in the mid fifties. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that for now. But, um, you know, and, you know, she moved, you know, she was born in North Carolina and moved um, here to New York, you know, fairly young, like toddler age. And a few years after that, like, you know, she and my, you know, and her mom, moved with her and her siblings, you know, into government subsidized housing. And this is, of course, 
around the time when a lot of these government programs, you know, really started, you know, um, getting started and um, founded and whatnot. And so she grew up there and, you know, and obviously with my grandmother, you know, with her mom, you know, my grandmother didn't grow up there. She grew up in North Carolina, but, you know, she lived there for decades um, as an adult, you know, and, um, and so I realized, oh my God, it's like three generations of us, you know, who have all lived in, in government housing. And, and I thought, you know, that's an idea, like that's, you know, I can do something with that. And so I interviewed my mom and then I interviewed my grandmother and finally was able to like, you know, get rid of the curse of the blank page, you know, and start writing. And I stopped writing at some point last year um, and like maybe a year ish ago. And then this year, you know, after everything with, with the celebrity and dealing with that and struggling to work and be creative, um, I was thinking about the book and there was this feeling of like, it's not quite, you know, what it's supposed to be and not quite doing what I wanted to do. And so like the theme of like generational experiences is still there, um, but now it has a new title um, it's gone through like, I don't know, like three or four titles, <laughs> but like um, the current title, um, which I feel like really speaks to um, what I'm trying to get at is, um, is, um, is a uh, stuck. And it's like, it's sort of like um, two parentheses with a semicolon in the middle. Um, and so it almost like, it's sort of meant to look like um a traffic light um and what i'm hoping if the title sticks is that um whoever the artist is you know to illustrate the cover um that they'll like make it look more like a traffic light and so the top light will like be red or like the top okay, you know, the yeah. dot the dot of this of the colon um will be red but um it's called stuck um singing while suffocating and um it basically still um incorporates the generational like you know my grandmother has a chapter you know where I write about you know her perspective on her experiences and then um my mom um has a chapter where I do the same and then the bulk of the book is multiple chapters about my different experiences and so the subtitle of the book is um a memoirish <laughs> generational tale of life in the projects. Um, and obviously it's memoir-ish, you know, because their stories are also in it. Um, but, you know, it's basically just going to be, and the other thing too, was that I wasn't really sure, like even once I scrapped academic stuff, like I still wasn't sure exactly how I was gonna structure the book. Um, but, you know, now I kind of am envisioning it as like a series of essays about different things that I've experienced while living here and how that ties into larger issues around what living in the projects is like, how you're perceived um, by outsiders and even by people who live here. <laughs> um, you know, um, the idea of like dating when you're poor, like, you know, like all of these different things that sort of intersect with the experience um, of course, I'm going to talk about Adam, the celebrity abuser guy. Um, and uh, yeah, and so now that I have like more of a concrete understanding of what the book 
will look like. I'm really excited to start diving in um, and writing some of the essays. I still have to write my mom's chapter too, but my grandmother's is written already. It just needs to be revisited. Um, and um, yeah, that's kind of where I am, is like reworking the project and you know figuring out what I want it to look like. Um, and I do plan to publish traditionally, you know, finding an agent and all that good stuff. Um, so we shall see what happens. My hope is to actually be done with a first draft before like next April or something or like March. Um, because there's this like, um, I don't even know what to call it, this thing on Twitter um, that someone started um, where... Um, LGBTQ plus folks can like, you know, put out like what their, you know, their completed manuscripts are and like, you know, what, you know, like to summarize it or whatever. And then um, agents and whatnot, like, can scroll through the hashtag and go like, oh, this sounds interesting. Or like, like if you have, like, you tag it with like, oh, this is fiction by an LGBTQ plus author, or this is nonfiction, or this is you know, young adult or whatever, like the, you know, the genre or subgenre is, then, yeah. you know, the folks can go through it and say like, oh, I'm interested in hearing from this person, this writer or that writer. So I'm hoping since I found out that they do um, include nonfiction um, that someone, because like the subject itself doesn't have to be specifically about like queer and trans issues, like just as sure. long as the author is a member of the community. So that is awesome. Yeah. Whoever created that like thing yeah. is really smart. And I really yeah. hope people are getting picked up from that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I was like, I was just so annoyed because like I just randomly heard about it. I think I started it last year or something like that, okay. like very recent. And like, I just heard of it this year and like literally the day of it was trending. And I was like, why did none of you folks who were in community with me tell me about this day? Oh um, man! So I was like, uh, I was like, the manuscript has to be finished. Like you can, you know. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I guess I have a year <laughs> to try <laughs> to get my mental health together. I guess. So we'll see. Cool. So you've mentioned how your role is very much teacher and artist, and one of the things that we believe in, you know, as the not so crafty Gorgons is that we have a responsibility to pass on our own knowledge and, um, you know, try to smooth the road for future crafters. And so with your experience, how, um, if you were to take on a writing apprentice, what would you make it a point to teach them? Hmm. Hmm. Or what would you want them to learn from you specifically? I'm like thinking in part because like I write different kinds of things and like, yeah. And, and part of the issue is like, I feel like, you know, different types of writing have different norms, different structures. And I think sometimes people look at them as like, oh, I can do this, you know, which like a lot of creative people like have this experience of like, I can write a book or like, I can write a screenplay or like, I can paint, you know, and like, of course, like we all can paint and write and things like that. But in terms of like really crafting something and making a, a legitimate career out of it, like it's just not in the cards for everyone. Like we all have our own talents, and, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know, you know. 
you know, I know, you know. Um, I'm, you know, trying to like not hurt people's feelings. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, it's just reality. Like there are things I'm not good at and, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, for those who like seriously want to pursue. Yeah. So my point was like, you know, there's so many different like ways to write. And so I'm like trying to pick like a more general like you know, thing that can apply to both. <laughs> um, but I think one thing that writers really need to be in tune with is like why we do it. And like, and that's probably true of like all creatives, honestly, is like why we do it. Like one quote that has always stuck with me um, was this quote by, uh, I was reading an interview of Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, you know, who passed eight years ago, uh, the actor. And I don't even remember exactly what he was talking about, but, you know, this was around the time that I was like really, really just coming back as, you know, coming back into like myself as a creative person. And he said, um, and it's not even a direct quote, it's been so long since I've like seen the text of the interview, but, you know, he basically talked about, and he was specifically talking about um, actors, I think, um, but um, he may have been talking about creators in general, but, you know, he talked about how we're compelled, you know, like you're like, there's this compulsion to like when it's really in you like there's this compulsion to do it like you know even like I talked about like how I wasn't really you know professionally or anything like that pursuing any kind of writing as an undergrad and yet I was still you know writing poems and you know the song that I finally finished 10 years later I started that while I was at Rutgers and I was still you know doing spoken word at like different events you know on campus and so it's like even when you think you're escaping it, even when, you know, you think you're um, <laughs> past it or like you put it aside, you know, for more practical things or whatever, like it's always there in you, you know, when it's in you, like you're compelled to do it. And, and I think that's true for a lot of artists and a lot of creatives of different kinds. And so for me, like that's always been, you know, once I realized what I was really meant to do, you know, like five, six years ago, um, that's something that I've always held with me is that quote, like knowing that this is in me, like it's meant to be. And so that's why I'm drawn to it and compelled to it, no matter what I try to do. But like for some people, you know, like they, you know, might write or, you know, paint or whatever, cause it's just fun, you know? And like, so you have to hold on to that. And, you know, some people, because they know they're good at it. Like I'm the shit when it comes to acting. And so like, you're gonna that, like, but whatever it is that you hold on to, like know why you do it. And, and I think that that's something that can really anchor you. Um, and if you don't know why, explore that. Um, and, and I feel like if there isn't really a reason, and then the reason could even be as basic as like trying to survive capitalism. <laughs> like, you know, like some of us will have jobs in this life that we don't really enjoy all that much, you know, but like, we are good at it and you need to make money. So, you know, whatever, but whatever the reason, like hold on to that and stick to it. And, um, and I think, I think it'll anchor you. Um, yeah.
Awesome. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing these parts of yourself with us and for taking this time in the middle of your night. I know it's super late in New York and over here in Alaska, like we still have bright sunlight. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Not So Crafty Gorgons. We really appreciate your support and we couldn't do any of this without you, our listeners. Cover art is by Marina Soul Art. Music is by Naveed, who is Amin Me on Fiverr. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or rating on whatever platform that you prefer. And for exclusive content with the Gorgons, including tutorials, swag, and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash notsocraftygorgons. For episode previews and other updates, follow us on Instagram at not underscore so underscore crafty underscore gorgons.